Welcome to episode 14 of the CineSnob Podcast, brought to you this week by Alamo Drafthouse. For showtimes at a theater near you, visit drafthouse.com. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. So, um, summer's it, over, right? Basically? Yeah. Summer movie season? Pretty much. And I'm glad we're all here and everyone listening is here and have peeled themselves away from the Every Simpsons Ever Marathon long enough to give this a listen. <laughs> that we're, and uh, dumping ice water over their heads. I think that that's it, probably... That's, uh, Facebook has, has transitioned from the... For me, for from the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge to the Every Simpsons Ever Marathon. You think so? I, I still have Ice Bucket all over my feed. Yeah, uh, well, it's I guess it's we're in the uh, kind of waxing phase of the uh, Simpsons, uh, Every Simpsons Ever, Ever Marathon and the waning phase of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. I firmly expect Monday or Tuesday to be solid Simpsons for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you been watching? You have. Yeah. I know you have, Cody. Yeah. Have you, Kiko? No, I haven't. I mean... I, if I start marathoning The Simpsons, I'll never <laughs> leave the house. Now, I want to complain about the cropping, zooming and cropping of um, the older episodes. This has been debated on the internet already. But uh, FX did a pretty decent job, I think, remastering. Mm-hmm. I guess Fox FX, FXX. Yeah. It's hard to say. Did a decent job remastering The Simpsons for high definition, cleaning them up making the colors brighter, but they zoomed in on the, I guess, master master recordings to make them fit the 16 by 9 aspect ratio we're all used to now. And they cut off jokes. God, they cut off jokes. They cut yeah. off the old man yelling at Cloud yeah. joke. Well, yeah. I think that uh, <laughs> that actually hasn't happened yet. I, I actually had to cl- – I told you about that. I have to clarify – they were showing as uh, an example of what it's going to look like. Oh, based I, on the zooming in. See, you know what? All these episodes get the get mushed around in my head, and I have no idea where anything falls. Yeah, that's a little later. But they did. They you did see one that you really liked that. Got oh cut yeah, off. the Homer tour is the uh, Duff Brewery. And I don't know if you, you're too young to remember this, Cody, but there was a big craze of dry beer. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. There was there was Bud Light, like Bud. It was Budweiser, Bud Light, and Bud Dry. And they used to play in the Bud Bowl. Remember the Super Bowl? They had I remember the bottles. Bud Bowl, yeah. Uh, so there was uh, a, a joke where Homer visits the Duff Brewery, and there's a vat of Duff, Duff Light, and Duff Dry. And they're showing how they, I guess, bottle it. And the joke is that all of them are coming from the same pipe, like that it's the same yeah. beer. But the the cropping cuts that part of the joke off. Yeah, that's so. ridiculous. And, you know, it's been weird for me because I haven't really watched much of The Simpsons as an adult. Um, most of what I watched was when I was younger. So it's been interesting to revisit and see just how smart the writing is. And uh, and also, it is kind of funny to see how dated some of the episodes are, which is to be expected, but it's... Uh, they showed the uh, Burns' Air episode yesterday, which has uh, one of my favorite kind of weird references where um, Burns makes a trailer... Is it that episode? Oh, God, I can't remember. <laughs> Again, like I said, they all mush together. But he makes a trailer where to show in front of the movies, and it parodies the Robin Williams Toys trailer, the infamous Toys trailer, where he's just in a field of grass. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. You remember I'm, that? I'm, I'm on the same boat as Cody. I haven't watched The Simpsons as much as me, an adult. As, as me. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my, my favorite Simpson episode is still King Size Homer. Yes, that's, that's my yeah. favorite, too. Oh, I gosh. still say, I'll wash myself with a rag on a stick. <laughs> Marge versus the monorail. Oh, uh, uh, monorail's a great one, with too. With the Leonard Nimoy. But the new episodes, I just, I mean, I'm way behind in seasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the, mm. the king size over my two favorite parts for that episode are um, 
Or obviously, when he says "fat, don't fail me now," and he gets in the car, and all four tires just burst, <laughs> and then, um, and then when he calls the number, and it, and the the, your, the fingers you have used to dial are too fat. Please press all buttons now to order a dialing. And I think it says, "Please mash the oh, key." Oh, please mash the key fat. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I like when uh, when he's getting made fun of at the movies, and there's the the off camera guy. He's like. Hey, Fatty, I got a movie for you. A fridge too far. <laughs> anyway, enough about The Simpsons. Uh, I guess since it's not really about movies, we shouldn't talk about it. Eh, whatever. This is our show. We can talk about Damn it, we're we going to talk about The Simpsons. Are they showing The Simpsons movie in this marathon? Yes, and they're showing it chronologically, so it's in between whatever seasons it fell in between. They'll show it. Why haven't they made a second Simpsons? Didn't the first one do great? It did great, yeah. And, and, and it, critically and, and I, in the box I like it a lot, too. I... I like I, I mentioned before in another podcast, I think it kind of lost its luster a little bit because it took so long. Right. And it was kind of way past the show's prime when it came out. But right. I like the movie a lot. I guess it took 17 years to make the first one. Maybe it's going to take, take 17 another... years to make the second one. You just like seeing Bart's wiener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What did they... He called it something. Uh, my doodle. Yeah, my doodle. Yeah, because it was literally a doodle. Oh. Anyway. All right, let's go ahead and move on to news this week. It's time for the Real Rundown, recapping this week in movie news. All right, first up, a trailer for the not-at-all-filmed-yet Hateful Eight from Quentin Tarantino hit. We all saw this uh, before Sin City. Mm -hmm. I think most people will this weekend. And that's the only place they can see it officially. Um, the the deal was they were supposed to only release it in theaters and not put, be put online. But if you go online, you can find it already. <laughs> and the reason you can, I mean, it's probably easy enough to, you know, record a trailer before the movie starts in a the theater. But with with the way that the Sin City uh, bombed this weekend, there was nobody. Okay. There was nobody in the theater when I saw it last night. Yeah, that's so. actually really true. Maybe maybe <laughs> so. you will have to go into the theater to do it. And it's going to be hard to sneak in because you'll be the only one in there, so they're going to know you. They're going to see ticket. the hey, this is the guy that shot this. It's the one dude. <laughs> no, I'm sure you can. I literally probably set up a camera in there and <laughs> shoot it like really, really nicely. What did you think of the trailer? I I, I thought it was good. I mean, for showing nothing. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean it, it seems like just an it's an animated sequence of names. Right. I'm stuff. I'm not a fan of people putting out a trailer before any kind of footage or anything else comes out, but. I mean, it was well made. I mean, it was, it was there was a nice style to it. I mean, it got me kind of is excited it, about seeing it. Is it just because it's Quentin Tarantino? Yeah. I mean, if this was somebody else, um, would it matter at all? Probably not. Probably not. I'll 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 agree with that statement. You know, it's. It, I mean, basically, for those who haven't seen it, all it is is kind of like a a one to, one to two sentence idea of what the movie is, and then it just flashes um, character names. Uh, with their nicknames and then like a small image to go along with it. And that's all it is, really. Um, I mean, it's well made, but I mean, it's it's nothing. It, it's it's. I mean, it really is nothing. Right, it is. I think mo- mo- more stylistically, I liked it. Um, and it's it just seems strange to me that they'd spend money on this, you know, put, producing something out that that has nothing to it, you know? Yeah, there was kind of a, I, I mean, people were kind of wondering if, if, Quentin is kind of helping out Robert Rodriguez. Maybe Sin City wasn't tracking well, and they thought people might do the things that they used to do back in the day, was which was to buy a <laughs> ticket just to go see a trailer to another movie. Until they f- remembered that, oh, everybody has the internet now. <laughs> yeah. And one thing I did not like about it is that when they showed The Hateful Eight, it was H8 oh, full. I, was I like, saw Ugh. that. I remember that. I was going to say something, but I forgot, because it was a no-talking zone by that point. Oh, yeah. We were in Alamo Draft House, so you're not allowed to talk. Yeah. Um. But uh, I, 
it's played to me like a the opening credits, like it looked like it'd be the opening credits for the movie. I yeah. guess. I don't know. I'm I'm not the. I like Quentin Tarantino. All right. I'm not the kind of guy that hangs on his every like release yeah. as the best movie that's going to happen that year. I also thought. One part I didn't like. If we're if we're really going to sit here and analyze the teaser, <laughs> well, uh, we already started, so uh, let's finish. When they at the end where they start flashing one, two, three, four, five, and they go all the way up to eight, and they do like blood splatter. I'm like, that's too on the nose, isn't it? It's kind of like, yeah, we get it. You you know, you make violent movies, and there's blood. How, is there any kind of word on how much input he had on on this? I imagine he did it himself, or at least. Had, was directly involved. I mean, if there's no movie at all, no footage, no anything, I, I would imagine mm-hmm. that he was heavily involved in making it. But a movie that he was originally not going to make because the script leaked online and he had a kind of fit about it. Right? Yeah, he yeah he he definitely <laughs> did. He he uh, threatened to sue. Oddly enough, the website that hosted it, which I mean, I would think you would try to sue the person who leaked it to the internet because wasn't I, it Bruce. Uh, Bruce Stern's script or something? There is, yeah, that was the running theory that it was Bruce Stern, which is hilarious to think about. <laughs> but um, what that Bruce Stern got the script and, and, and yeah. leaked it to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me see what happens if I just uh, upload it here. Like this old man is just some master pirate. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was more like he tried to email it to his granddaughter and hit the wrong button. He emailed it to Laura Dern and <laughs> yeah, exactly. something got screwed up. And his AOL email got <laughs> His net zero internet account. <laughs> you know, it'd be cool if uh, this is just a fake trailer and he really is so pissed off that he's like, hey, here's, this is the movie you're not going to get. Well, that's what it... Well, that's actually... See, um, what they were... What the original plan was was he was going to scrap the movie because it had leaked and he was going to make a book out of it. And then... God. When the book thing, <laughs> when the book thing failed, they did one of those. You know how they've been doing. Um, you know, in L.A., they 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 have uh, they have old movie scripts that they have actors come in and read, and they're directed by famous directors. Like they did one with the Breakfast Club. They did yeah. one um, with a bunch of others, and they did that. They did a live script reading, and it was really expensive. And then uh, that was going to be like your only way to see it. And now he's like, oh, I guess I'll make it after all. And now he's making changes to the script. So I just don't care at this point. I mean, I, I like I said, I like Quentin Tarantino just fine, but the whole, like the, like just make the fucking movie already, <laughs> yeah. please. Like, let's see it. And it's not going to come out until next year, so this is very early to be seeing a, a teaser, especially attached to a movie that nobody is seeing, and especially with nothing at all offered. Like, it's just yeah. here's the synopsis, and here's some character names. No actors. It's not like yeah. oh, you know. I've, uh, Samuel L. Jackson is in it. He's one of the leads. Isn't uh, Jennifer Lawrence? Jennifer Lawrence rumored. is in talks. It was supposed to be uh, Bruce Dern uh, was attached. Until he went and fucked up. And- <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure Christoph Waltz is probably in it. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I'm sure. And he'll win an Oscar, seeing as that's how that's his thing now is just winning Oscars for, for Tarantino Quinn. movies. I would have given him an Oscar for Muppets Most Wanted. <laughs> yes, I'm so sure. Since he did the waltz. Remember? The, o- the only other thing I've seen him... <laughs> this is stupid, but... It, oddly enough, the only other thing I've seen him in that I've liked was... was I liked I liked his role in Carnage, which... You didn't like Water for Elephants? I didn't see that, but I, I didn't like him in The Green Hornet. Oh, he's great, in the car- he's great in Carnage. I didn't, oh, God, I totally forgot he was in The Green Hornet. Yeah. I was, forgot that movie existed. Yeah, he's all, he's the villain in that. I think he's the villain in Horrible Bosses, too, coming up, too. Oh, yeah. We saw that. That was another trailer we saw last night. Yeah. Horrible Bosses, too. There was some bad trailers in the, the screening that I saw. I can't even remember what they were. 
Thanks, thanks for bringing it up. Then. Oh, there was one called. Uh, there was one called Obsessed. No, Addicted. Did you see one called Addicted? No. no. About a woman that's addicted to sex. <laughs> no. Yeah. Who's in it? Nobody. I mean, there's... nobody. There's nobody in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, un- literally I mean, no one. I, none of the actors I knew, except for uh, uh, Tay, not Tay Diggs, the other really good-looking uh, African American <laughs> model. Are you, talking, are you talking about Tyrese? Tyrese, Tyrese Gibson, yeah, yeah okay. he's in it. Oh, it's actually Tyson Beckford, not Tyrese. Oh, okay. I just remember him from his underwear ads myself. <laughs> in, your, <laughs> in your dreams? <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, Hateful Eight trailer. Go look at it online if you can, right? Yeah, it was, it was posted on like the playlist the other day. So. Uh, that's illegal. Don't do that. Is it, a, is it a pirated copy that's on there? Yeah. Oh, well then maybe don't go look at it. <laughs> <laughs> or do, I don't care. <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> okay. And tell him Cinesnob sent you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Next up, Minority Report, the Tom Cruise movie that we all liked. We mentioned it a few weeks ago when we talked about Tom Cruise films. We like that movie. Oh, yeah. I love that movie. I think it's great. One of the best sci-fi movies that, that have come out in the past few years. Anyway, uh, there's a TV version in the works, Cody. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's going to be produced under the Amblin television uh production company i guess you would say uh steven spielberg is producing it uh it's going to be uh written by max bornstein who wrote godzilla um and it's going to focus on you know the pre uh, pre-crime police force um which i mean back in back when it came out was a really unique and and really well done idea mm-hmm. um they uh they sort of bring up in this article that i read on uh on film school rejects that uh that it's sort of an idea that has been done now. I guess the the CBS show Person of Interest is is kind of similar, right? I have no idea. Premise about wise. Person of Interest, uh, and then also they point out that uh, Larry Wilmore is getting a show on Comedy Central. Um, I guess it's going to be after <laughs> At Midnight. Oh, that's right. And it's called The Minority Report with Larry Wilmore. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, right. <laughs> uh, there might be some issues there, but. Uh, it's oh, like, so they would call it the they would call it minority part. I I don't know. They don't know yet. Uh, but I mean that's that's a little off topic. But anyways, I think it's a it's an okay idea. I I don't know that we need it. Well, uh, would it be another cop drama? I mean, if, if it's well, that's the technically thing. Cop stories. It depends. I think it depends on the network because you have you run the risk of it becoming like a police procedural, which there's a million other things of, and it's like yeah. it's kind of like you you run the risk of having your case of the week, like Hannibal, for example. Hannibal, uh, you know, obviously uh, based a TV show based on the series of movies and books. Um, Hannibal has this thing where they'll they'll tell this really original kind of uh, long form story that kind of takes place, but then uh, like a few episodes per season, they'll go into like like murderer, serial killer of the week, and that's when I think you kind of lose a little bit of. Well, I guess that's just the trappings of of network TV. Exactly. I, I think that cable is able to do it way better because mm-hmm. I guess network still operates on the model that people are just going to drop in and yes. visit a show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sorry, where was the minority report going to be showing? Uh, I don't it? think they have a channel yet. Oh, okay. But um, the network hasn't picked it up. Yeah, not yet. Mm. Hmm. So what's, what's your take on when they turn films into, obviously minority report is based on a, a book from the beginning, yes. get go, but this is likely going to echo the movie more than than the original source material, right? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because um, 
I mean, just just to speak on the adaptation by itself, I think that Minority Report was so interesting because it was ahead of its time. It looked amazing. The, it was the futuristic elements were really good. I don't know how well that's going to work, like in you know 2015 when it actually comes out. But mm-hmm. uh, but you know, just speaking on adaptations, I think it's a mixed bag because I think that you have a lot of unsuccessful adaptations, and then you have ones that actually work. We're, talk, well. we're talking about adaptations from film to TV, right? Right. And uh, and you know you have something like uh, like Fargo, which was loosely based that did really well. You have Hannibal, like I said, which was book into movie into TV. But then you have stuff like uh, like you know I, I didn't actually see it, but they had the Bad Teacher adaptation. I don't yeah, I don't even wow. know if it made it. Um, it, it aired briefly. It was Ari Ari Grainer. Yeah. Was the play the Cameron Diaz role, right? And well, then, that was a terrible movie. So maybe you have to take a good movie and turn it into a good TV show. Well, my so. my gold standard is always we were talking about this before the show started. Friday Night Lights, mm-hmm. uh, obviously based on a nonfiction book, turned into a film. But great, a really great film, I thought, by Peter Berg, who then adapted it with a producer named Jason Kadams to a TV series. That I don't have either of you seen that show? Yeah, I've seen it. I love oh, that Cody's show. Oh, Cody's a big fan of yeah. it. I love that I'm, show. I've never seen it's it. It's really, really good. I mean, it's it's one of those like make a grown man cry sort of shows. Really? Like just the emotion. I mean, it, it's it's outside of the second season, which stunk of network interference. Well, and I think that was writer strike. It was right. Yeah, it was cut short by the writer strike. Uh, but it and it feels like it doesn't. It, it has just a totally different kind of feel to it. Like it feels like it it was trying to be turned into some sort of teen drama. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, that's one of the best shows on TV in the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. Easy. Yeah. Well, and and not only that, but I think that Kyle Chandler has one of the best characters on a TV show in the past. Kyle Chandler is amazing in that show, and I wish he had. I wish that show got the cultural uh, backing that something like Breaking Bad did, because mm-hmm. I think that he'd be considered up there with brian cranston well, and he did win an emmy for it yeah the year the year, the year the breaking band was took yeah. like was ineligible because yeah. it aired yeah but but uh <laughs> but yeah and it and it's great because it actually did get rewarded because kyle chandler won for best actor in uh in best uh i think was it uh connie britton right no it was a writing screenplay for the finale that jason kadams won oh uh, really yeah i didn't know that i mean it's just a and it was shot you know not far from us here in uh in Austin, I have a, a friend of mine was actually at the time when she lived here, she went up there to to sh- to be an extra in one of the mm-hmm. scenes and brought me back one of the props they used. Um, they passed passed out Dylan Panthers flags, you know that all the the yeah. audience was waving. You know, uh, and it, it we're getting off topic here, but that it was a high school. It's about high school football, but it's not really about high school football. Yeah, exactly. And and yeah, that's a really good example. And I and again, I don't think you, either of you watch Hannibal, but that was I do. I, oh, I'm, do. I'm like a season behind. Okay, I love that show. Season though. two is great. How uh, the fuck do you guys have time to watch TV shows as much as you do? Because like, well, I mean, oh, that's right. I have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yep. There you go. I'm just like I don't. I I rarely. Commit myself to a TV show like you guys do. It's I've like fallen crazy. off. I've fallen off a little bit in the last few years because I used to be like, I used to have this schedule like, all right, Monday nights is blank, blank, blank. Right. Tuesday nights is blank, you know. And then you know, I'd watch all of NBC's Thursday night stuff, Community, Parks and Rec, yeah. The Office back in the day. Um, but I, now I have to make, 
I don't know, because most of the time I'll just come home and sit down and watch, turn on the History Channel or something. Like, oh, look, they're talking about aliens, you know? <laughs> you know, I, I kind of wonder if the key to this is to make it loosely based on the source material in the movie. Because what we're talking about, we're talking about Friday Night Lights, which is very loosely based on the movie. We're talk- I, I mentioned Fargo, which was really loosely based on, on the movie. And, and, it was, and it was very good. And then Hannibal, which is... It you know it uses characters from the movies and the books, but they're telling their own sort of story. I think Hannibal's a little different because, obvi- I mean, obviously, Silence of the Lambs is a huge, huge movie, and Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of Hannibal is just so much in the forefront of people's minds when you hear about the character. Yeah, but I think, but it's different because it it seems like a a different adaptation of the same source material. Yeah, yeah, well and I think that sort of speaks to the point of doing of kind of taking your own spin on it because yeah. I mean because when you look at it Mads Mikkelsen is nothing like Anthony Hopkins right. at all. Like his portrayal of Hannibal is completely different. And um and you and like it's I mean Kiko you haven't seen it but it's actually taking place as Hannibal is a, like an active psychiatrist. And so you see his work as a psychiatrist and uh and and yeah, it's. I, I think the key is to is to not give people something that they've seen before in terms of, yeah, of, of kind of story or, mm. or character design. So he doesn't or, eat people. No, he eats people, but uh, <laughs> oh, that part's so the cri- like the scenes are so great and they're so like beautifully shot. Yeah, like uh, of him preparing, like you know, because he's a obviously a like a food connoisseur. Yeah, and he's like preparing like people, and it's just beautifully shot. Yeah, and uh, but disgusting at the same time. <laughs> yeah. They should put that on the Food Network. That'd be a nice little. It's a really great show, and I'm <laughs> really disappointed Hannibal. in myself for being so far behind. Yeah. I don't. I, you know what? I actually don't think I finished the first season. Really? I think I think that came when I was making my big giant TV provider shift, and stuff got lost on the old DVR. Yeah. Well, so. season two is definitely worth checking out, and and season three is coming up soon here. And and like the the plan was he was going to do uh, a couple seasons of original stuff, and then do. Uh, like Red Dragon, Silence of the Lambs. We're talking about Brian Fuller, the producer, yeah. right? Yeah. And did, then, go ahead. Did, speaking of adaptations, did you ever see his uh, ill-fated Munsters reimagining? No, they did that as like a one-off episode, though, right? Yeah, because it was uh, NBC was behind it, and uh, oh, I remember they, hearing about that. And then that... they just kind of abandoned it with Eddie Izzard, and um, I think Eddie Izzard is the only name I can remember right now. Wasn't what's his uh, name? Portia de Rossi. Yeah. Um. I don't remember who else was in that. Wasn't the fat kid from um, Stand By Me in it? Jerry O'Connell? Oh, yeah. Jerry O'Connell played Herman Munster. That's right. The fat kid. Like, he has nothing else to his credit. (laughs) The fat kid from Stand By Me. Yeah, that was Brian Fuller. That kind of came before Hannibal, I think. I I took a tour of Universal Studios when they were shooting that. Mm. And you drive by the... There's the famous Munster house, and they had repurposed it for this movie. That's cool. So, um... Back to Minority Report. Yeah. <laughs> Interested in it or not? I'm going to check it out. I'll, uh, yeah. Since you two are the TV watchers. Honestly, if it's on network, probably not. I, I don't. If it was like an FX God, series yeah. or something. TV snob. Well, it's just, it's just you. It's it's so watered down. Like, like the only network shows that I watch are Hannibal and Parks and Rec. And that's like it. I And like something like Hannibal feels like it's getting away with something. Oh, yeah. It feel, yeah. It feels like NBC is like not aware that this show airs on their channel. Like they, they don't even know what's like, it is super graphic and, yeah, uh, yeah. and, uh, and really <laughs> disturbing and it's dark and it's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, I, I can't believe that it's on NBC, but, um, hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'll check it out. Anyway, my dad always makes fun of me when I say that, by the way. If what? he's listening. I, I'll check I'll, it out. I'll check it out. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll check it out. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why. I don't know. All right, that's enough for news. Let's move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we've got Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. What did it feel like? What? Murdering an innocent man. I just want to know what it felt like. It must have been beautiful. What are you talking about, innocence? I knew I could count on you. Sex always made you stupid, ready to believe anything. <laughs> You've just made me a very rich woman. Do me one last favor, lover. Stay still long enough for me to blow your brains out. All right, we all three saw this movie. Kiko, since you're the odd man out here. Well, not really. I mean, I wouldn't recommend this movie, but that, that oh. scene actually reminded me of... um. The scene where Bruce Willis is in the taxi and the um, taxi cab driver is like, what did it feel like to kill a man? You remember that oh, scene in Pulp, Pulp Fiction? Fiction? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> when it I was reminded watching... me of a way better movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't hate this movie, but I mean, I, there's just a lot of problems with it. I, I'm, I, I've never read the graphic novels before. Um, I've seen them, but I haven't like flipped through any pages of them or anything. But I'm assuming that they're uh, set up as these little vignettes. Um type of stories um so that's that's what we have here uh we have like maybe what is it three or four stories that yeah, kind of it's a little less separated than the first one was but right no i and i i really i enjoyed the first uh sin city when back in oh seven oh five oh five i didn't like the first sin city oh you didn't no. um so i i still uh very much uh respect the uh the vision here and the way that they stylize this i really like the way that it looks i all the black and white, all the color. Um, I enjoyed that specific part of the movie. Uh, the opening sequence here is great. I thought it was really fun. Um, and I enjoyed um, <clears throat> Joseph Gordon-Levitt's uh, storyline here. Uh, everything else is trash. <laughs> Any, so, anything that Eva Green is in. And I'm, I, I don't know if we should go through the synopsis or anything like that. Because there's, there's not really, really anything, uh, anything going anything on. That, yeah. that's there's the not thing. really anything happening. I was going to be like, let's talk about the plot. And then like, wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. So... Taking them as like little short films, I guess I like the jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt like you know card shark type storyline a little bit better. Um, but anything with Evergreen in it, I didn't just didn't get. And not to say that I didn't enjoy. She's pretty naked <laughs> in a lot you know, of this movie. I was I was reading this interview <laughs> with her about that, and uh, and she was like, "It's not gratuitous," and uh, and she uses sex as a weapon, and I was like. That worked, like like Robert Rodriguez <laughs> saying she uses sex as a weapon. Like that was enough for you to be like, oh, I'll get naked ten times in this movie. She, and, and like, who knows? Uh, like Frank Miller's stuff is um, pretty misogynistic, yeah. right? If you don't right. know, mm-hmm. so who knows? Like what? I mean, like she doesn't really give a shit. Like I don't think. I yeah. think she's just like I'm going to be naked in this movie, and they're going to pay me, and it's a high profile movie. I don't think she. Really yeah. needed convincing. I don't think that that. I mean, do you think that worked? Do you th- really think she was like, oh no, it's, no, it's going well, to be not gratuitous. To interv- according to this interview, she's very shy, even though she's naked <laughs> in like everything she's in. Yeah, I saw the dreamers. Yeah, I didn't. I thought it was. I mean, she is. She. I mean, I don't think she had a wardrobe person working with her at all. I mean, she's naked. In all every, I remember is her, her the blue, the blue. Yeah, she has a blue dress on. But that she's like, up, it's, but. 
It is gratuitous because she's like No, I mean it's completely gratuitous. No, I think gratuitous. it is it's completely too. gratuitous. Yeah. Like there's just shots of her like swimming naked in a pool like three times just or standing at a window <laughs> with her boobs like full on display cuz it's like it's got that noirish uh shadows shadow of the, blinds. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the thing this movie is it's all atmosphere. Yeah. Like 100% atmosphere, mm-hmm. 0% plot, 0% characterization. Other than there's a couple of characters. I mean, Marv, I think he's the strongest one out of, and he was back in the first one as well. But Marv stands out as being, uh, you know, the strongest character. Even though yeah. here he's a little less. Uh, he's basically just there to be the muscle. Yeah. He's he's drinking most of the time and then steps he, out when he needs to kick some ass. He feels like a dumbed down version of his character in the first. Right, city. right. I thought so too. Um, I, I just I just don't think he's anything more than just a bunch of cliches all smashed together. I mean, it's fine. I like him, and I like Mickey Rourke in the part. And uh, but I don't think there's anything more to this than than just whatever, ever hard boiled, badass shit town cliches. Just he's just the I guess the most fully formed of them. Right. Yeah. I uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say the the visual aspects of this movie are are I think mixed. I think I think to start off and in the opening sequence, it actually looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we saw it in three D. Yeah. And it really? actually, yeah, and it actually added a lot. I thought the 3D was pretty good for I, the most part. When the, when a 3D film, I think, is mostly CGI uh-huh. or mostly kind of weird stylization, I think it works best. Yeah, and I think this was really successful in a lot of parts when when it was just the kind of graphics on the screen. When you try to blend the actors into the graphics, I think yeah. is when it failed. Well, I think I think the the parts that are the worst are when anyone's driving a car. It looks really fake. Um, oh, and there's. Yeah, I don't. There's a oh, stupid okay, because it's it's the idea is that it's basically pulled from the panels of the comic. Right, was the point of Robert Rodriguez, director Robert Rodriguez, bringing in the the artist and writer of the comic books, Frank Miller. Yeah, who I don't know if you know anything about Frank Miller, but he's kind of gone nuts in the last fifteen yeah. years. Nine Eleven really threw him off the edge. I mean, for real, because he there was, he's got the famous Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight Returns, and mm-hmm. he he was in the middle of writing the sequel to that, The Dark Knight Strikes Again, mm-hmm. when nine eleven happened, and you look at the third book in that series, and it just goes crazy. So anyway, he's he's uh, got this style where it's black and white, so you, it cuts like whenever somebody's wearing glasses, they're just kind of white on the silhouette and there's the scene where it's fucking uh jeremy piven and chris, chris maloney. maloney and they're cops and they're both wearing glasses and they're driving and it cuts to them like whenever they're in the car you can see their eyes but when mm-hmm. it's outside of the car they're you can see their faces perfectly but then they have white glasses and yeah. it just bugged the shit out of me because <laughs> it it just doesn't look right yeah um yeah that's true uh but yeah visually i think that the atmosphere is really cool in this movie um yeah. I, I disagree with Kiko on the Joseph Gordon-Levitt stuff. Uh, I uh, I was like, th- his whole characterization is he's good at poker. Like that's that's what he is. Like he's good at poker, and he can. And he, he was lucky. He was lucky is basically his idea. And and they put him in the very beginning of the movie, and then forget about him for like an hour and a half, and then come back to him at the end. But the worst part about that was the scene in the diner with Lady Gaga. When, okay, so. <laughs> I don't mean to spoil anything here, and it's not a big deal, but he's he's looking for money, essentially, and he doesn't have any, and he's trying to get money. So he goes into a diner, and he asks for a glass of water, 
and he gets a glass of water. And when he finishes it, Lady Gaga's like, I like the way you are, yeah. and hands him a dollar, like one single dollar, which is all he was looking for. And it's like that, like all, like, did that go according to plan? Like that was your plan to walk in? And It, it should be said that his story and I think the uh, – Epilogue. What do you call it? An epilogue. Whatever wraps up the movie. When yeah. it felt like it should have been over and it kept going. Yeah. Uh, with Jessica Alba, that those two are not from the graphic novel. Right. The the yeah. This is a new character that they put in, and I just I just it just did nothing for me. Yeah. It was, the, it was really simple and basic. And that's it, why I think that if you see if you if you re-edited this and made the Joseph Gordon-Levitt story into a short film, I think it'd be fine. I mean, it's a guy that's lucky. I think it's an interesting. He never loses, and but he doesn't give a fuck anyway. He knows that he's going to get beat down by this, what's his name, the um, Power, Powers, Powers, Powers Booth, Booth, who's a great. I thought he's a great villain. I like Power. Well, I mean that's his thing. Yeah, I know. I, I loved him in this movie, and I think he's the only one. Him and Mickey Rourke are the only ones that really stand out at all. Everybody else is just sort of along for the ride, uh, especially like Jeremy Piven and Chris Maloney. Like, what the fuck are they doing in this movie? Yeah. And also, oh, yeah. also when when um when we start and get into uh, Josh Brolin's part, I mean it's literally like fifteen minutes of him just narrating what he's doing. Yeah. Like at one point I was I, I turned to Jared during the movie and I said I know that they're talking but are they saying anything? Like they're just like it's like there's there's nothing happening in that script. There's nothing. And I had no idea until I read a re- an, another review later that. Josh Brolin was playing the same character that Clive Owen played in the first movie. Right. Because he gets – there's a, a a plot point, and I don't know if it's in the graphic novel because I haven't read it, where he gets plastic surgery that's supposed to make him, I guess, look like Clive Owen. But he just looks like a young Eric Roberts or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't look – Yeah, I thought it was Eric Roberts I did, for a second. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so it doesn't – I don't know. I don't – it just – I don't get it. I don't understand – I don't know. I don't know. I just, again – um piece unpiece it or deconstruct it and just um see it for its little vignettes i and i i really didn't have a problem with the poker story i thought it was kind of cool the way that he was just a lucky bastard and he just won everything and it just didn't comes seem, back and just didn't seem to have a point oh and the, other than to show other than to give powers booth some more time to do something yeah and then Right, he's really the only thing that kind of, well, maybe not. He kind of connects everything. Him and Marv kind of connect everything together. Right. Uh, the thing was about Powers Booth that was making us laugh the whole time was, who was it that played the yellow bastard in the first movie? Nick uh, Stahl. Nick yeah. Stahl. And he keeps talking about him as a uh, like a presidential candidate. Yeah. And they, he talks about how he misses him. And they keep showing... Like him staring at a portrait of this guy, <laughs> and it's just the r- most ridiculous looking thing ever. It's yeah. just, like what the portrait of the yellow bastard? Yeah, yeah. it's just because he's he's it's lamenting. Just, I, I, it, it was, was a super, son. No, but it's it's a super serious moment, and the picture is just absurd. It's oh. ridiculous. <laughs> Maybe that's. I think that might have been the point. I yeah, we know. were laughing. We were laughing at that, and we were laughing every time that that like there was a there was like a, a female character like posturing with a gun, and like it was just. Fucking cheesy, man. Oh, yeah. All of, uh, like, Rosario Dawson's parts. Like, she shows up in, like, a gimp mask like, with spikes all over it. <laughs> yeah, and, I wasn't like, a fan of the Dawson stuff. And then uh, Jamie King playing two roles. Yeah. Uh, that apparently, that I didn't understand that scene at all. Like, they wanted to kill Josh Brolin and then... 
don't know. Fuck, I don't even. Know. It's this movie is a mess. It's a complete and total mess. And I and I it sucks. I mean, it's just not a good movie at all, in my opinion. But I I totally agree. Um, I don't. I wouldn't go so far as to say I hated it. But it, I was really not looking. I mean, we got like an hour into this. I was like, this needs to be over. Yeah, it got really tedious at, uh, at a point because nothing happens. I mean, it's just it's the it's, whole, it's yeah. a story of no consequence. Yeah. And the whole like the, the Josh Brolin, Eva Green thing could have taken about 15 minutes, but it's just build up for. Yeah. You know, because she screws him over and he's got to go kill her. And then. All right, let's go. You and know, it takes. Just, yeah. And then it just turns into just violence. Is what it, it just like just like uh, a stylized violence is kind of what it boils down to. Let's talk about the casting for a minute. Yeah, uh, I really like Mickey Rourke. Yeah, um, not so much anybody else. Powers Booth. Power. Well, I'm sorry, Powers Booth too. But then everybody else just seems either like they showed up and it was like, hey, let's be in this movie. Like Jeremy Piven. Like what the fuck is he doing? Yeah, Jeremy Penner's uh, uh, Jeremy Penner. Jeremy Piven is uh, is pointless in and, this movie and uh i think dennis haysbert is incredibly miscast yeah as some big tough what is he a robot well i think I he's know. playing the same part that michael clark duncan right. did in the first that's City. right damn it yeah so your replacement for michael clark duncan is dennis the Haysbert. all-state guy i mean who's has like a stateliness about him in every role he plays you know he's an authority figure yeah. he's you know the voice of reason and then you cast him as like some unkillable robot like it just doesn't or whatever the fuck he is is he a robot i don't even remember i don't know they say that they at one point they say he's not human or something but and then he gets a gold eye but didn't he have the gold eye in the first sin city how is like the i think this is a prequel is it cuz isn't marv yeah cuz it's a prequel cuz that's why cuz that's why uh uh josh brolin gets the plastic surgery yeah but bruce willis Comes He's, back as like a ghost in this one, so it had to happen after he had killed well, himself. Well, I think parts of it are a prequel. <laughs> what the what? hell, dude? I don't even know. What? I don't get that. I don't get it either. I what about you for as as being a, the as big of a Back to the Future fan as you are, Jared? What did you think about uh, Christopher Lloyd's cameo? I, I think it was fine. Uh, fine. I thought it was great. He was basically <laughs> playing the uh, the doctor from Batman that that worked on the Joker. Uh, you didn't like Ray Liotta's one scene? <laughs> Ray Liotta's one scene and Juno Temple's one scene. Yeah. Where it was just an excuse to show her boobs, I guess. Which she does in, I think, every single movie I've ever seen her in. Not in the Dark Knight Rises. Oh, I'm sorry. She didn't do that in Maleficent. She, yeah. didn't, she did yeah. not get naked <laughs> yeah. in Maleficent. Darn it. That would have made the movie so much better. <laughs> uh, um, God, just... Uh, who was it? That was oh, there was a scene where that you and I laughed at where someone's watching TV and Robert Rodriguez. It's Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller. Oh yeah, they're like, on like a TV show yeah. or a movie. And Frank Miller's in the beginning too, and one of the one of the guys at the bar. Oh right, I saw that. Um, what do you guys think of Robert Rodriguez? Let's get this out there because I haven't liked. I liked Machete Kills, and I think I'm the only one because I think it was appropriately stupid. But, well, and that's how I felt about the first one, Machete. Yeah, I liked Machete. Machete was fine. Um, I mean, of course, the big one that he started off with was El Mariachi, which is a really good movie. Um, other than that, I mean, but I that's wasn't like a, twenty years yeah, ago. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of Desperado. Wasn't a fan of From Dust Till Dawn. Wasn't a fan of Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Definitely, am is not. I'm not a fan of any of his kids' stuff except for the original Spy Kids. Yeah. 
Um, but everything else, shorts, um, the other two, <laughs> other three Spy Kids movies. Shark Boy and Lava Shark Girl. Shark Boy and Lava Girl is probably one of the worst kids movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah. uh, the Faculty. I didn't like The Faculty. I wanted to like The Faculty. Um, I think that's probably his most complete. Like the the of his movies, that's the one that feels most like an actual movie to me. I just think it's time for him to uh, reinvent himself. Uh, I totally agree because I I think there's talent there. I I do too, but I don't think is I don't think it's been on display for a long time. And I mean, it took him so long to make this movie. I don't know where the there's something happening in the you know background that we can't see. Like hmm. I don't know if it's. Because, and this is going to prove true with the way Sin City performs this weekend. I mean, there's something that people aren't coming out to see yeah. anymore that they were before. Well, I think that it, at the time, that was kind of a drought in comic book films. I mean, you had the X-Men and you had Spider-Man and people wanted something different, and stylized and comic booky. Well, and this was and, kind of on the heels of, of – yeah, I mean, I know you said that Sky Captain and The World of Tomorrow right. was kind of – these kind of came out at similar times, right? And Sin City was – also, mm-hmm. one of the first movies right. that had that kind of, uh, uh, I guess, super stylized, all green screen. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, I don't know. The, there's there's definitely some some really nice style on display here. Yeah, but I, I think that's it. I mean, uh, imagine imagine if there was a well written screenplay put in this world uh, that they built. I think that could have worked great. But because I mean, this is essentially the comic book translated. I mean, I mean, not translated, right. but transcribed. Right, they like, wanted it to look like a comic book. It looks like a comic book. It but reads they, like a comic book. I mean, yeah, they took the words and just put them in a screenplay, and that's it. And I don't think that's successful at all. I think that's what they did with, with crap like Twilight. Just to avoid pissing off the fans, they made... Were you pissed off when you saw the movie? I was like, God damn it. <laughs> that's like, not the, the way it reads. Like, <laughs> there's, there's this weird subculture in Hollywood that... Uh, not subculture, but like this weird idea in Hollywood that... Some of these things are too precious to ever mess with. I don't think that Sin City's one of them. You know, like Twilight was like, hey, we're going to piss these people off if right. we don't put everything in the fucking book on the screen. Right. Well, when you bring somebody like the creator of Sin City, yeah. it's kind of hard to. I mean, if Frank Miller wasn't a. T- yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things you want to get. Have somebody so close to it, their product, that their baby, that they're going to, you know, scoff at every change that they that, that you make on the set so but wasn't that robert rodriguez's idea is to bring Frank oh Miller? yeah totally because i think that that was the point i think the point was to and grab whatever's in the comic book or the graphic novel and turn it into a movie he left the director's guild over that decision did you know that yeah mm-hmm, yeah god i can't i don't even understand i guess he just makes what he wants to yeah i think really that's care. the point i mean he's he's con- he disconnects himself from hollywood that's why he's based in austin um, he doesn't want to be part of the machine. I don't think he really is, even though, I mean, he has connections. I mean, he gets all these big stars in his movies, which is great. I like the fact that he's away from both coasts. That's fine to me. I um, just wish that that he made a, he played with a little more rules, I think. I think playing, you know. So do, loose. He's, yeah, that it's it's hurt him. Like when he's like, fuck it, I'm going to make a kid's movie. How I want to make it like the what was it what, was the Shark Boy one the the one his son had the idea no about? shorts was that uh, he kind of let his kids come up with the stories see I thought Shark Boy was also. oh yeah I think so too I think like so too. and it's like no like no that was a bad idea no <laughs> and somebody needs to tell him no it's kind of reminds me of Kevin Smith like just fucking stop <laughs> you know take a step back you have stuff people liked before right <clears throat> and you need to be reined in because 
I think Robert Rodriguez could be a solid director for hire, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, like do uh, studio stuff. Yeah, yeah. But doing his own thing just hasn't been successful, in my opinion, in a long, long time. I mean, even though I liked Machete Kills because it was just so fucking crazy and stupid, with seeing <laughs> Danny Trejo in a spacesuit <laughs> just made me laugh. <laughs> Um, so anyway, yeah, you're right. I think that's what it, what it all comes down to for Robert Rodriguez. He's going to, he's going to make what he wants to make. Um, he probably has, I'm sure he has so many yes men around him. It's not, it probably not even funny. Just yeah, like, it, I can you know, imagine, but you know, whatever. It's like those filmmakers that just show their stuff to their family. <laughs> like, hey, what do you think about my new movie? Oh, it's great. I mean, I'm sure he has people that. Do you think Robert Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez, <laughs> Robert Rodriguez gets a pass in the Hispanic community because he's, I guess, the most successful Hispanic filmmaker. Because, like, the stuff like El Rey Network is a great idea, right? But it, then filling it with crap, like, from dusk till dawn. Well, it's TV a great series. idea, but I don't understand how you start a network without any content. That just still blows my mind. Yeah. How do you even flip that switch and say, hey, here's a new network, but all I'm going to do is show... My old movies twenty four seven. But do you think he gets a pass because he's a like the people praise him or, mm, or? I don't know. I mean, again, with the way that it's performing, you would think that Hispanic moviegoers, which are the biggest sub section of the audience these days, would go out and support it. And yeah, they're not. Nobody's seeing this movie. <laughs> I mean, this is not a Hispanic themed movie, which is right. another you know problem in the Hispanic culture. They don't you don't go they don't go out and support their own movies. I'm sure cantinflas in a couple of weeks isn't. <laughs> Is that how you say it? I thought I always thought it was cantinflas. No, you're putting the wrong syllable. You're putting the wrong accent on the I. Damn it, <laughs> gringo. I know. I'm so white. Anyway, I don't think he gets a pass in terms of um, people going out and supporting him because you would see that more often. Okay, um, but that's I don't know. That, that's a good question. I'd have to think about it a little bit more. Anyway, well, what, so get, get back to us um, <laughs> next week. That's your homework. All right, okay. <laughs> Anyway, do you recommend this at all? Any, no, either of you. No, I don't. I I think this is just at its at its, you know, at its core, a bad movie. I think it's just all around a bad movie. Kiko, I liked a lot of aspects of it. Um, I love the atmosphere, like we talked about, and the style. But I still wouldn't recommend it. There's too much too much that's wrong with it to to say that you should go watch this movie. I mean, the first one was good. This one just doesn't uh, live up to, I guess, the grittiness of the first one. It just didn't seem dirty enough to me. <laughs> Despite all the boobies? <laughs> yeah, no, the other, the first one seemed like just more, I don't know. Gritty? Gritty and more like, I don't know, like there was something wrong with me for watching it and liking it. And this one's just seemed like... <laughs> you felt guilty? Yeah, I'm like, oh. Uh, and this one just didn't seem like there was, uh, it, it didn't have the same... Maybe and maybe it's because it came out so. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like it's late. Too, it's way too like it, any kind of care anybody had for this movie passed, and it, and it seems like maybe even Robert Rodriguez doesn't care anymore. I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of money to not care. <laughs> it's a lot of money to put into a movie to not care. But no, I think he cared. I just don't think. I just again, I think he gets sets his mind on something, and that's the way he's going to do it. And he does it his way. And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. More times, not than off than. Than it does, but anyway, um, no, I, 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 sadly, I don't uh, recommend this movie. I, I did like a lot of aspects of it, but I kind of recommend it. All right, I don't recommend it either, and we've talked about why. 
Let's move on to the next review, Calvary. What's troubling you, Father? You seem agitated. I need a favor. My great-grandfather's. He said he took it off one of the Cairo gang when I shot them all on Bloody Sunday. The first Bloody Sunday, obviously. Ever had called to use it? Yeah. I killed a man we had once in the Wicklow Mountains. What case was that? He was just pissing me off, like. <laughs> Somebody'd been threatening your father. What have you been up to now? Not you as well, huh? What did you say you wanted to for, father? I didn't say. All right, I didn't see this movie. The two of you did. Cody, why don't you start? So this is a movie that uh, was written and directed by John Michael McDonough, who also did The Guard, and he's the brother of Martin McDonough, who did uh, the amazing movie In Bruges and the pretty good Seven Psychopaths. I like that movie. He Um, also won an Oscar for a short film before that. Yes, that's right. Um, Six Shooter, I think it was called. Yeah. Also with Brendan Gleeson. Yeah. Yeah. you know, this movie is a, is essentially a showcase for Brendan Gleeson, who is is good. He's very good in this movie. Um, I don't know if I like the character as much as I like the performance, but uh, Brendan Gleeson is is good, and I think he's a very underrated actor. Um, uh, you know, I mean, and, and he's sort of connected to these brothers. I mean, he was in The Guard, he was in In Bruges, um, but it, it, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a story about uh, a priest who in the opening scene of the movie um is is he has his life threatened someone threatens to kill him inside the inside the confessional booth and um and so it's kind of uh him preparing for i'm preparing to die essentially and getting his affairs in order essentially um you know i i wanted to like this movie more than i did um you know it's 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 sort of supposed to play off as a as a dark comedy and i don't i don't think that the 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 comedic moments really hit uh as hard as they maybe would have liked it to um there there are a few okay moments but it's kind of a it's it's kind of not that funny for me um and then the dramatic moments i think it's just kind of uh i think it just kind of you know rides a wave of of being kind of decent in it in it uh and in the end it just it just doesn't really do much for me and i think it miss misses the mark a bit well, I love the guard. I, I thought uh, John Michael McDonough did a great job with um, with that story. I, I really enjoyed it. So um, coming into this, I, I was hoping that he would capture that same type of um, feel. But yeah, uh, I agree with you with the mix of comedy and drama. I don't think he hit as much as he did with the, with the guard in this one. Uh, it's kind of a little bit more of a serious story. So it's, I mean, I don't know. It's about child molestation in the Catholic church i mean that's the the guy that uh, is threatening the priest is a uh a guy a guy in the um that was uh, a, abused as a child by a catholic priest so to take revenge instead of killing the priest or that did this to him he thought he would make a bigger impact by killing a uh innocent man uh, who's played by Brendan gleason so that's what the whole story is about him gonna he's gonna go ahead and kill this good priest uh to uh, re- get revenge on on the priest that molested him as a child. So this is just like a whodunit type of movie. You go through the whole story, uh, 
meeting these different characters. Um, Though it's pretty obvious who it is. See, that's the thing. You know, I knew <laughs> right away you who it right was. You know right away. I knew right away who it was, but uh, reading articles, they don't use his voice in the, the confessional. That's, that is true. The voice is different. <laughs> so why did we know? That's kind of weird <laughs> that we knew. How did you guys figure this out? I, I, I don't want. I don't want to say. Yeah, anything, neither but... do I. I don't want to ruin it. But I knew as the as they were um, introducing us to all these men in the town that could have done it. Yeah. Because um, I mean, there's a bunch of different types of characters. Uh, uh, some just good men. Some like men that have beaten their wives before and things like that. So there's a, a host of different characters that that you know. But the priest, bring... him, the priest himself, knows who it is the whole time too. He's not. Right. I. Guess that's correct. I mean, he, yeah, he does because he hears him in the confessional, and right. he just he's talked to him before. So yes, he knows who it who it is. As an audience, we're not supposed to know who it is. I don't think most people know who it is, but I'm not sure why switching the voice out. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> maybe that's pro- maybe that was a big problem of of why I didn't jump on board with this movie because I knew who it was like the second that the first scene was over. Which is kind of weird because then they introduce us to like seven or eight different characters that might have been might might have done it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, There's also a, a father daughter relationship in this movie that I don't think is successful at all. Yeah, I didn't really. Uh, what's her name? Riley. He was. She was in Flight. Um, yeah, Kelly Riley. Kelly Riley. Uh, so, yeah, that's that that connection or that uh, relationship really didn't do anything for me. I think what what it comes down to is. Uh, is Gleason's performance. I mean, he does a great job as this man that's, you know, kind of, you know, he's a, he's a good priest. That's it. I mean, he's, he's a good man. He's just, um, caught in this, caught in the middle of this thing that he has to face. And it's kind of interesting to just watch him, you know, uh, work through that. And, and, and he knows who the guy that's going to kill him is. And it's just all leading up to this one meeting where he's going to die. And, uh, uh, being able to watch somebody that knows that, uh, the inevitable is coming is it was kind of interesting to me uh that's probably the best thing about this movie just watching gleason uh uh interact and react to some of the things that are happening on screen so um other than that i mean it's a pretty s- uh, simple story there's not much to it um i think it i think it strives to be a little bit more than it actually is um and i i, I just you know just just a lot of the small things that happen in between um don't really have much of an impact and uh and yeah, it's a, it's a movie that I was uh, I was a little bit uh, surprised. I, I thought I was going to like it more than I did, and especially there's a, there's a lot of critical acclaim going uh, along with this movie that I'm not exactly following. Disappointment. That's yeah. the word. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good word for it. Just disappointing. All right. Do you do you recommend this? I don't. No, I don't. Um, really? You know, I think it misses the mark. Um, I, I I can't say that I would recommend uh, this movie. Yeah, Kiko. Yeah, Brendan Gleeson is great. I mean, I, I see it for him, I guess, but I wouldn't recommend it as a whole. I mean, there's just uh-huh. some themes that just don't really uh, mesh together for me too well. But uh, again, Gleeson is great. I I think that, like we were saying before, he's very underrated. I um, I, I hope that something like The Guard and this movie bring him out into the forefront a little bit more, so he can. Get some bigger roles, but I love them. I love seeing them in these indie films. Well, it's great. And, and just one more thing: if they're going to take on a subject like, like, uh, like you know, sexual abuse within the Catholic Church, they didn't do much with that. 
with that side of things. Like there wasn't there wasn't a statement being made. There wasn't. Uh, I mean, it's 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 a good thing that they approached it and that they uh, and that they dealt with it. But I'm not really sure, you know, what kind of impact it ultimately has as a. Subject. Right, it, and it's a it's a dark subject. So I mean, it's kind of hard to. I mean that that opening line. I don't want to say what it is, but it's a very graphic. Yeah. Graphic, and it it'll probably like. I mean, some people will laugh at it, I guess, and other people will, like be disgusted at it. Mm. Um, but it's it's kind of hard to laugh at things that are are that serious at times when they don't play for comedy a hundred percent. So I'm not really sure how that mix happens here but it, it doesn't really um happen all too well so anyway uh this is not a, a a movie i would recommend even though again gleason is great all right let's go ahead and move on to our last segment overrated underrated in the spirit of sin city a dame to kill for we are going to tell you our most overrated and most underrated comic book slash graphic novel adaptations and this is strictly based on the movie. We're not talking about uh, like how well they adapted something into something else, right? Yeah. Thanks yeah. for clarifying that. Well, I mean, it's like I mean, I haven't. <laughs> or how? Well, I guess how true to the graphic novel or comic book? Oh, I don't care about that. Saying. That's something that we need to talk about too. Is that you know people? Oh, the book was much better than the movie. I mean, I don't ever go into because you don't read. Well, yeah, that, but I mean, I don't care. I mean, I don't, I'm not looking at the book. I'm not, I don't care how it was adapted. Yeah. I'm just looking at the movie as a movie. That's about it. Yeah. Well, it's hard to separate the two. I mean, sometimes. Well, if you haven't read well, one you, of them, yeah. it's, it's not that I mean, hard. If, if you, well, if you've read the book, like when I was a kid, I read Jurassic Park, loved the book, and then loved the movie. So, it, but it was. But you, did you compare them? Oh, this didn't happen in the book. Oh. Well, yeah, of course. Who doesn't, though? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, let's anyway we're getting back. off topic already. So uh, let's see. C- Cody, why don't you start off? Okay. Uh, for underrated, I am going with uh, American Splendor, which was, I mean, I guess it's odd because it was, it was a, it's Harvey Picar who made um, a comic book about his life, mm-hmm. which was then adapted into a movie. Um, and this movie is really, really interesting. Um because it's a it's almost like a blend of of live action documentary together because you know you see uh um Paul Giamatti plays Harvey and uh and you see Paul uh you know act out scenes from I guess either the comic or Harvey's life and then you'll cut to interviews with Harvey so Harvey will talk about his own life and I think there's even scenes where Paul and Harvey interact with each right. other great scenes yeah great scenes. and uh and you know this movie is most notable if it's see it for paul giamatti because he's incredible in it but also this is the best thing that judah freelander has ever done <laughs> and he is he is amazing in this movie what about that dave matthews band video where he just went around hugging people hello harvey <laughs> you need if, any, if anything else you have to watch a scene it's and it's probably all over youtube where judah freelander is explaining revenge of the nerds to uh to Paul Giamatti's Harvey character <laughs> and how he drove like hundreds of miles to go see Revenge of the Nerds and he talks and he's about he's going to go back yeah if Harvey wants to go with him <laughs> it's it's an amazing scene and, and it's such a great character but uh this is a really unique movie it's really great um <laughs> and i feel like it kind of gets lost a little bit oh in, it totally got lost nobody saw this movie i think it was nominated for 
at least a screenplay Oscar. Um, I'd have to check. I, maybe that's true. I think so. It should have been at least. I mean, it's a great script. And the way that they set it up with Harvey and, and Giamatti talking to each other is really inventive. I thought and this was right before uh, Giamatti got an Oscar nomination right for Sideways. Did he get an Oscar nomination for that? I he did least not. A, no, at no? least a claim for that, right? Yeah, a claim. Yeah, he didn't get a nom for it. Yeah, so so uh, it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, what did it, it lose to? Uh, it lost to... Uh, In 2003. Three. Hmm, let's see. I don't even know. I think it lost to um, uh, uh, Lord of the Rings Return of the King. That's what it lost to. And it was nominated alongside City of God, Mystic River, and Seabiscuit for screenplay. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, uh, you know, it was, it was highly rated, it's, so it's not exactly underrated, but it's definitely underseen right. in, in kind of a lost movie. Um, so so I, really, I really recommend checking out American Splendor um, if you can. And your overrated movie? My overrated movie is The Dark Knight Rises. Um, yeah, <laughs> I I have I have watched this movie several times. I've really tried to like it more than I did when I initially saw it, and I just I can't I can't do it. Um, I Batman uh, Batman Begins, great. Uh, the Dark Knight, amazing. This movie just falls on its face for me. Um, I think that Bane is a really weak character and villain. Um, I, uh, I, you know, there's always a bit of, of Christopher Nolan's series, I think overall has a little bit of like camp to it, but you have to kind of, it's, it's, it's okay. Like, you know, there's mm-hmm. the scene in the courtroom in the dark night with Harvey Dent and the, in the, in the, um, and like the gun thing, or like when Batman has his, uh, has like the bat pod and he does like the three, the 360 on it or no, it's, I guess it's a 180 where he. He's going in, and then he like hits the wall, and it turns around. It's just like stupid. What's that's not camp though. Well, it's not. It's not camp, but it's cheesy. Well, I don't know. I I, I don't I, agree with that. I I mean, you want to see camp? You look at the Harvey Dent scene in Batman Forever, when uh, <laughs> Batman's in full Batman costume, just hanging out in the courtroom, like sitting in the pews, and just jumps out to save Harvey Dent. Yeah. from getting acid thrown in his face. Yeah. Um. But anyway, I think I think that <laughs> I think that. Uh, do you think it has anything to do with the fact that the Dark Knight was so good that I, it could, yeah. it could, yeah, I think that I think. people were just hoping. I th- I think that uh, Christopher Nolan was allowed to do obviously whatever the fuck he wanted in the Dark Knight Rises, and I think there's, I think there's just too much going on. There is, and I and I think every scene with Anne Hathaway just sucks the life out of me. I I did not like that character at all. Do you think? And I know no, I don't think anybody's ever like properly said anything. Do you think that Heath Ledger was supposed to be a part of whatever was next? The Joker was supposed to be a part of whatever was next, and that they had to start from scratch. I had heard that there was going to be a scene where where the Joker was in prison, mm-hmm. and they were st- they were thinking about just making him a shadow, and 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 having someone who sounded like him. I, and I, I don't remember where I read that, or if it was a rumor, or if it was real. But I mean, plot-wise, like, like as though that character was going to be the driving force of the plot. I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think he was ready to move on to the next villain. I mean, there are, these all these movies are kind of set up that way, where you know, Bane was such a weird pick too. And like, and like the whole idea that that in the and I think I'm gonna spoil this. I think we've all seen The Dark Knight Rises <laughs> by now. Yeah. But the scene where where Bane basically gets reduced to like a, a child 
when when he's talking with Talia Al Ghul, who's uh, uh, Marion Cotillard's character, mm-hmm. like he's like just like sitting there with his mask broken and like, and and then she's like she's treating him like a like a like a pet, like it's just it's weird. He becomes such a sweet character, and all the and by the way, that was awful. Her turn in that movie, just a terrible terrible she, part. I, her death was bad. Yeah, she, his she just, death was bad. Well, I, yeah. Uh, by if, the time the movie wrapped, I, I think the stakes in the film were too big. For the world that it had created, yeah. Because Batman Begins is comic booky. If you look at it in through the like through the lens of the the Dark Knight, like knowing yeah. what came after it, uh, it's way more comic booky. And then the Dark Knight takes a turn where it's, I think we've talked about this before, but it's basically Heat with Batman. Yeah, you know, it's like this yeah. fucking crime wave is just sweeping the city, and there's this anarchist behind it all, and it's Batman that's got to stop it. And then the Dark Knight Rises takes a more comic booky turn. Like, wait, this American city is being held hostage by a nuclear weapon. Like, it just doesn't it doesn't fit with what came before it to me as well as it should. Well, and it's just like stupid stuff like that. It's like every cop in the city is trapped underground. Like every single. Well, that's cop. what I'm saying. That's more comic booky than than yeah. what you expected. And I think that was a. I think it was a conscious decision on Christopher Nolan's part, but I don't think it set well with with many people. You yeah. Know? In the in in like the scene where where it's revealed that that Joseph Gordon Levin's name is Robin, you're like, oh. I was totally fine with that because it's not <laughs> it's just a little goofy Easter egg. Yeah, I don't I'm, Easter wasn't... egg, Robin, bird. <laughs> <laughs> Get out, Cody. <laughs> Leave. Okay, this has been my last appearance on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, but I I see I see your complaints. I don't I don't agree with all of them, but yeah, it's definitely not. It's definitely a come down from the Dark Knight in terms of quality, and I think um, I think it's just it was just too much freedom on Christopher Nolan's part. I mean, he got to do all whatever these he directors to. with freedom. I know. He's got a home. Yeah. I don't. I don't know what it was. I just, <laughs> I just know that it, it didn't work for me at all. Got to tie these guys down. I like it still, but uh, I can see the problems people have with it. Uh, all right, Kiko, let's move on to your picks. Uh, well, we agree with the uh, overrated one, um, so we can talk about that together if you like, holding hands. It's uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world, and we're going to make Cody angry because... that's Yeah, that's one of the most overrated movies of the past 10 years, in my opinion. This movie's so beloved. Why, why don't we ask Cody why he likes it, and then we can tell him why we don't. Cody, why do you like Scott Pilgrim versus the world? Ah. Oh, good sound effect. I, that worked 10 times better than I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So Scott Pilgrim versus the World is a movie I sort of like. I, I mean, I liked the first time I saw it, but then as I I, I saw it a second time, uh, as I do, as has been well documented on this show, and and it really start it really clicked for me. Um, uh, I, I'm a big fan of of things that reward multiple viewings, uh, like Arrested Development, for example. There's things that are hidden, uh, and and I like rapid fire kind of joke stuff, and and Scott Pilgrim has so many small jokes contained within them that are happening so fast that you catch things that you didn't catch the first or second time you saw the movie. Um, you know, the video game elements of it, I, I never really watched, or I've watched, played many video games, but I like the idea of, you know, you're going level by level by level and trying to, and you know, you reach your, the ultimate boss uh, level. Um, I think the movie's really funny. I think the visual style is 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 great, and I think there's there's just so much going on. It's it's kind of like a, a sensory overload um, at times. And of course, uh, well documented. I'm a big fan of Edgar Wright, and I think that um, 
I think that he did something really unique with this movie, and I I love uh, I just love the the style of it. I love the humor. I think Michael Sarah is great in it. Um, yeah, I just I I really like the movie, and I like it more every time I see it. Jared, why is he wrong? I I just <laughs> I just don't think Edgar Wright's style translated outside of the Simon Pegg Nick Frost world, and. I think that may be one of the shortcomings of Edgar Wright, and maybe that's why he wasn't right for Ant-Man, something like that. I just don't think it... Uh, first of all, movies don't exist in a vacuum, and I think we had all had too much of Michael Sarah when this film came out. Uh, that was a big controversy. Remember the poster that they released? Is it the poster for the film, the actual poster, where he's kind of rocking out on a guitar and you don't see his face? Mm-hmm, the, right. the rumor is that, that because people were sick of Michael Sarah. Hmm. That's why you don't see his face on the poster. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a real thing, that people were, were bothered by Michael Sarah. I don't think he's really that good in this movie. Because uh, basically he's playing an asshole. Yeah. And uh, people were sick of him by the by the time this film came out. And I just don't think, like, I just don't think there's any personality to anybody. Like uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, what's her name? Ramona. Ramona Flowers. It's just there. Yeah. Like, why is he fighting for this chick? You know, she doesn't give a shit about him. Um, I think the two bright spots are probably, uh, is it Rory Culkin? And, Kieran uh, Culkin. Kieran Culkin, I'm sorry. Kieran Culkin's great in this movie, yeah. Rory Culkin's younger, right? Is that I a don't know. Rory Culkin girl? I'm not, I'm not a big fan of, or I uh, have not a knowledge of Kieran Culkin, Culkin is family. good, and um, the girl from Short Term 12, what's her Brie name? Brie Larson. Brie Larson, thank you. Uh, I think they're the two people in this movie that redeem themselves. Again, and I was also kind of fed up with Jason Schwartzman by the time this film came out. Cause I don't think he plays anything differently. I think he's a fine actor and I think he's okay, but I think he like, Oh, he's kind of a, a nerdy dick again. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I just didn't care for the league of evil exes. I mean, yeah. they just didn't do anything for me. And that's basically what it is. Him fighting these guys one by one and our, sorry, girl, there was a couple of girls I forgot. <laughs> But I mean, just going through those levels didn't didn't really do it do do it for me in terms of like the video game style and some of the I guess references are funny, um, but in, if you're looking at it like from a video game perspective, I just didn't find it all too creative. I think it thinks it's I think it it's wants to be cleverer than it more clever than it is. And maybe cleverer. right. I mean, I have only I I've seen it twice. I think yeah, it's um, not twice. And maybe I didn't catch a lot of them, like Cody was saying. Maybe I, maybe we need to go back and watch it a third time. Hey, you want you want to do that today later on? Let's well, go watch Scott Pilgrim for the third time. And but just, maybe and just sit. And we'll just sit there cross armed while Cody just laughs, at us. <laughs>, <laughs>, laughs like a little girl. Didn't you get that reference? I love Michael Sarah and, and, and uh, sex bomb bombs or the whatever. The other girl it's from Arrested Development that's in it, May Whitman. May Whitman, thank you. Maybe this is a generational thing. I think it totally is. But, but there's a lot of people my age that like it too. But see, there's not like the video game part is not what appealed to me. It is the it is the style of the movie. It is it is uh, um, like the fight sequences and the and the style of like the you know it, when something happens like you'll see a word flash up on the screen like a like a like when he gets hit you'll see like a like onomatopoeia stuff pop up and like Batman. Like sort of, yeah, Batman? yeah. Or I like when the phone, like when the phone rings, you'll see like ring, ring, ring happen on the screen. And, so you yeah. like the style? We just talked about a movie where you <laughs> liked the style and hated the story. So I guess that's the same thing for me here. I mean, the style's fine. But... The style's fine. I just, 
I just didn't care at all. And I, I like I said, the kind of delivery and the direction of Edgar Wright, I love with most of the Simon Pegg and Nick Frost stuff, but I think this time it just doesn't work. And maybe that's maybe maybe his style doesn't translate to other, to outside of those two actors. Maybe. I think it does, but yeah. But the, what that's the only example, right? He's only done four films. Yeah, he's done the three with uh, Peg and Frost, and then he's done Scott Pilgrim. And before that, he only did uh, Spaced, Spaced, which is the same thing. I love Spaced, too, but... And I think we'll see, we will see in the future what what kind of director that Edgar Wright is as he begins to branch out more. I mean, he's going to do more movies with Peg and Frost, but before then, he has some other stuff lined up, and... And he's been spending a lot of time around J.J. Abrams lately. I don't know if you've been following him on Twitter. But I haven't. He was he posted pictures with J.J. Abrams and the rest of the new Star Wars cast. What is that supposed to imply? I don't know. Maybe they'll give him a property to direct. God, a, a Star Wars directed by Nick Frost. I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Edgar Wright. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, he's got some other stuff in the pipe, so we will see. On I, the I'm pipe, there. like in Super Mario Brothers, oh, where the plants come out of. This is your last podcast as well. Oh, shit. <laughs> Next week, it's just going to be Kiko and a microphone. Hello. Welcome to Kiko <laughs> and, Talk. And the baby in the background. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that for anybody who can hear my daughter screaming downstairs. <laughs> All right, Kiko, what's your uh, underrated? Underrated, uh, which was very critically acclaimed, but just underseen, was a movie called Road to Perdition, uh, based on of, of uh, Max Allen Collins's graphic novel, uh, starring Tom Hanks uh, as a um, hitman who has to try to uh, prevent his son and himself from getting killed by uh, this father figure that um, needs to kill them before you know bad stuff happens uh, to the family. Uh, this was came out in two thousand and two. Uh, beautiful, sh- beautifully shot uh, film. Uh, I think it won uh, best cinematography that year. Um, Conrad Hall. Uh, he, I think he won it um, after he passed away. Um, but this is just a great uh, father-son story. I, I, I just can't even say how much I love the, the, the father-son aspect of this movie. And, you know, this little boy remembering back to how he was, uh, I guess, he grew up and turned into his, his own man because of the sins of his father and, and the fact that he didn't want to be uh, or grow up to be like his father in the crime world. So um, just a great uh, performance by uh, Paul Newman, which was, it was his last film. I think he did. It's his uh, last live he, action film before he passed away. And, um, uh, bef- his last one of his last films, I think is cars. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of people scoffed at the casting of Tom Hanks as great as he is. Um, just because he didn't really fit that hitman type of, uh, I guess, cookie cutter, um, I guess characterization, but he did a good job. I thought he did really well, and especially with the uh, way he um, interacts with the the young kid in this movie is really great. So um, I would really, really recommend uh, Road to Perdition. Uh, I thought it was very underrated at that time. Um, it didn't get as much uh, I really love like, from people, but I remember really liking Jude Law in this too. And Jude Law, Jude Law plays this crazy kind of uh, another hitman that's trying to kill. Um, Tom Hanks's character, it's, Michael Sullivan. Does it? Does it not? It seems weird though that this is based on a graphic novel. Right, it know? does. It's one of those that you know you don't think of it as a comic booky type thing. Um, maybe you should. I mean, it's just beautifully shot. I mean, there's just so many uh, frames where you can just snapshot it and it just looks amazing. This is, uh, Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes yeah. uh, directed movie. Um, this is his big. This is his big one after, uh, after American, American Beauty, Beauty right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, check it out, uh, Road to Perdition, um, if you missed it at the theaters. I saw it in the theaters 12 years ago. 
God. Yeah, I did too. I saw it too. I loved it. I, I remember. Well, I mean, I remember loving American Beauty as well. So maybe I was on a on a Mendes high. Sam Mendes. Eva Mendes, actually. Oh. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, what's your um my. My overrated pick overrated. Underrated. is, uh, you, as we, we talked, talked about, about Scott Pilgrim, my right. underrated pick is kind of a kind of a cheat, maybe, is uh, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I don't think it's underrated in that, you know, a million people have seen it. I don't know who hasn't seen the movie. But in light of what comes after it, I think people should appreciate it more for the fact that it's, uh, I guess, an adult story, more adult story than we've ever gotten before. And as we talked about... Was it last week, week before? With this new adaptation, like nobody just just nobody gives a shit as to what <laughs> what made the turtles the things that people loved. But it, I don't know if you know this, but this is actually based. The movie is based on two different uh, graphic novels of the original run of the Ninja Turtles that I read in elementary school and was just blown away that oh my god they made a movie of this right? Uh, you know. Uh, kind of really sets the the tone for everything that came after it, whether it sucked or not, you know, cause the cartoon, we all watched the cartoon. Well, not Cody, but you and I watched the cartoon mm-hmm. when we were kids and it was really kind of juvenile and uh, jokey, but then the movie came along and it was, it was more serious minded. Raphael and, uh, said, damn, he said, damn a lot. Mm-hmm. He kept saying it. Uh, <laughs> and that's, and, and you know, that characterization with the clash between him and Leonardo uh, you know the the tension is what's that came from the comic books, right? Uh, and then I guess uh, that was the only real attempt to make an adult teenage uh, a, a movie that could appeal more to adults, based on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, adults that weren't reliving their childhood mm-hmm. twenty five years later. Um, I don't know. I think I, again, I've we talked about this when we reviewed the or when you and Cody reviewed the remake or the new tmnt but i didn't really care for the original i mean i have a soft spot for it because i remember how i felt when he came out of the theaters i mean this was yeah. an epic point in my cinematic childhood you know where or my in the cinema as a child and really an epic point in cinematic turtle history right <laughs> yes i mean like had, a real turning point i think you had all those gamera movies you know they were right. just yeah. godzilla knockoffs but then these but this was part. a big deal when I was what ten when but it came out. Have you revisited it at all? I've revisited it maybe five years ago. Um, I mean, and there's some funny parts. I mean, I, I I remember laughing in the theater with certain things. I just remember I don't remember. I just remember not liking the story. Really? Yeah. I think it's the most simplistic of them all, and I think it makes the most sense. Out of everything that's come since then, like everything else has been either stupid or convoluted. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that, that, uh, I'm not, I don't want to sit here and tell you it's some unappreciated masterpiece, but it is something that, like, after watching this newest film and then going back and watching this one, just the adherence to a story without just jumping to fucking special effects and right. shit is really kind of what I appreciated. You know, you've got the scene where, and it plays out over, you know, five or six minutes, which is unheard of in like a new blockbuster where Raphael leaves the theater uh, dressed. He goes to see Critters. I don't know if you remember this. Uh-huh. He's dressed as he's, he's got, got this he's disguise a... on and he comes across some 
street street punks stealing a purse, and that's when he meets Casey Jones. Right, and it's just it's just well plotted. And I don't think anything since then with the Ninja Turtles has been well plotted. I don't think anything. I don't think anything after that you can say has been like really well. Like somebody sat down and thought about this, and you know this took four days to shoot because it's six minutes of screen time. Right. Um, I'll give you that. Thanks. I appreciate You're welcome. it. Cody, you have nothing to say about the Ninja Turtles, do you? Nope. I had a turtle once that we found on the side of the road. And I think I named it Michelangelo. Was it a was it a red-eared slider? Do you know? I don't know, but you know, there's. Oh, this is going to be too local, so never mind. But yeah. Well, what? Go ahead. Well, there was there's a pond over by the medical center. Uh, I think it's on. Is it on Fredericksburg or? No, it's getting too local. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> anyway, it, I, you had we, a turtle. We released it into that pond. I had uh, some pet turtles as recently as like four or five years ago. This was a rescue turtle. These were. <laughs> These were red-eared sliders, which is pretty much the most common turtle, freshwater turtle in America. And, uh, yeah, you're falling. <laughs> but the funniest thing is, like, they stack on top of each other. Like, because they're cold-blooded and they need sun. Yeah. So I had a little rock in their pond, and they would all, like, make a stack. Like, Are you sure they weren't doing stack. it? I'm pretty sure they weren't. Because they were just sitting, they'd sit there and they'd, like, put their legs out, like, stretched uh, exactly. out. Exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute, I just watched... Turtles there. I have some video if you want to watch it, guys. <laughs> Later, not now. I had, a red, I had a red-eared slider when I was little, too. Everybody had a red-eared slider. That's weird. Because they're the most common turtle. In- <laughs> oh, is that why? And they were cheap. Anyway, I had it, and uh, I remember my dad would always tell me to clean out the um, aquarium. Oh, good He would Lord, be like, stink. clean it out. It stinks. And I never, ever would. And I think like it went like two months without cleaning it. Oh. And one day I came home, and the turtle was gone. <laughs> it was like it just disintegrated in its own. <laughs> yeah. No, I was like, "What happened to the turtle?" <laughs> he said, "Oh, I took it uh, down to the creek and I skipped it like a stone." <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> so this guy he threw it in the in the creek. You know what's uh, what was amazing to me when I learned about turtles? Those red sliders were fast as shit. Because uh, like we had one, we had a rescue turtle once that we found. Like it was crossing the street, and we grabbed it. Yeah. We grabbed it. And took it in the backyard. And I remember looking out the window, and that thing was just hauling ass across the yard. It was fast. Remember, don't get your turtles from a local breeder. Yeah. Rescue, rescue them. Rescue them. <laughs> it's not so much rescuing as it was stealing them from the wild. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just went out like, to go forage for food for its family. <laughs> oh, oh, fucking take this turtle home. <laughs> Though I guess they always are home wherever they are. Exactly. Right? So they're not, you know, you're not rescuing anywhere. You're I mean, home is where you make it. Turtle though, napping right, guys? it. Yeah. But the, I mean, but what I'm saying is they always have their home with them. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. right. Turtles it's on their back. Come on, Cody. Come on. <laughs> I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's that's gonna wrap up the show for this week. What do we have for next week? Anything at all? You know, it's another slow week. Yeah. Well, like a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> but you just said they were fast, so now you're contradicting yourself, and I'm really confused. <laughs> like a tur- like people think a turtle is, but oh. it's really gonna be a fast week. Oh, okay. I got you. <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna do next week. Um, I know the the two movies that open are The November Man and As Above, So Below. And I think that uh, Land Ho opens here next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is a indie, indie film. film. You, I like how you say it, like everybody's gonna know what it is. Yeah, that Land Ho movie. Oh, you know. Yeah, it's about two guys who go to Iceland for a for a <laughs> vacation. Yeah, there you That's go. Really what it is? <laughs> the November Man is, of course, the uh, Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, movie. The, the the weird trend of like sixty year old men 
becoming action heroes. He's like sixty, right? Probably He's pretty close. Yeah. I the only thing I know about the November Man so far is that that Pierce 61. Brosnan Pierce Brosnan was on uh, the Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon playing Goldeneye. <laughs> did you see this clip? I didn't see it, but I heard about it. Do you, I haven't. Did you play Goldeneye? Is did it, I play Goldeneye? What is that? Like, is that Nintendo like, 64 <laughs> game? Just go. Oh. I'm, I'm finally old enough to know what <laughs> yeah. this is. It's a I, Nintendo, I know, 60, Nintendo 64 game based on the Goldeneye film. One oh, of the best, I, like one of the best games to ever play when you're in the room with other people. And just classic. I mean, a classic game. Uh, oh, is that the first person shooter game? Yeah. yeah. See, I never was into that stuff. Oh god, I well, skipped over. 64. We still play gold. My friends and I, when we can ever get together, since they all have kids and shit. <laughs> that's what we do. Every bachelor party that's happened since, you know, friends of mine started getting married was involved Goldeneye at some point. That sounds like a great time. It's honestly, it's let, me, <laughs> let me keep it. Let me tell you, it was always after whatever happened. So we it was were, always after we came back from the strip club. Yeah. No, you played, is, you played with is, the strippers, right? Is, no. Multiplayer. It was always after the strip club. And that's absolutely true. Oh, okay. The last time was when my friend Rob got married and we came back. Uh, friend of, this is a way off topic, but a friend of mine rented. His dad runs a, uh, a body shop and he has one of those big vans, like a church van. <laughs> he, he took us all to the strip club in the church van and then drove us all back, all drunk as shit, and drove us all back home. You know, he he was the DD and, and drove home sober. And we got we got to their house. We got to another friend's house to play Goldeneye, just drunk. And I was like, I'm going to vomit because it's so it's just dizziness. Anyway, so Pierce Brosnan played uh, Jimmy Fallon, who is the human BuzzFeed, apparently, had... <laughs> yeah. uh, Go, uh, Pierce Brosnan play Goldeneye with him, and he fucking stunk. Up That's the what joint. I heard. Yeah, like he was terrible at playing Goldeneye, which I guess I can excuse a sixty-year-old man for not being good at a seventeen-year-old Nintendo game. <laughs> but still, it was kind of disheartening that, and he did like just totally didn't give a shit. Yeah, was he mashing the buttons or what? I was. It was just. He was playing along. Were they showing it like on the? Yeah, they, okay, they like the played a big like they were playing on a big giant screen in the studio, and they put the screen on on TV. And I don't know how interesting that is, unless you're doing like what Conan does, and you're just making, making fun, fun of, of it, it as parody, you do it. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm not one of those people who finds people playing video games interesting to watch. I hate watching you're, people play video games because you were always Luigi and you that, had to wait until Mario died. I, ironically, though, you love Scott Pilgrim, and I feel like that's watching somebody else play a video game. Like, so, like all these other people are having fun, and I'm not. I'm just watching them do their shit. Oh, I hated that. Didn't you hate that when you had to wait for mm-hmm. your cousin to? It was my sister all the time. Your sister to die. Oh, I used to. It was such a dick move that I used to do. You would hit reset. No, oh. uh, Super Mario Brothers. Right, uh-huh. I'd always be Mario. She'd always be Luigi because I was older. And uh, with the Mario controller, you controlled when it paused. <laughs> so she'd be jumping over a pit, and I hit pause, and she would get so pissed off. Wait, you, I don't remember that. So it wouldn't the trajectory wouldn't allow it to jump, keep jumping after you. You had to keep it? pushing the button, oh. and she'd get mad and and like. Yell at me and then I'd unpause it and she'd die. <laughs> oh, maybe that's why she stopped playing video games after that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, wow, we got way off track there. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, uh, November Man, as above, so below, and maybe that Land Ho movie everybody's been talking about. Hey, I'm ready to see that tonight. Actually, okay. 
Cool. Thanks for telling. I thought we were yes. going to see Scott Pilgrim tonight. Oh, crap. I forgot. We already, I already forgot our date. All right. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us at podcast at net. You can also call us, leave us a voicemail, send us a text message at 920-FILM-210. That's 920-3456-210. Anything else? Leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Oh, yeah. Please do that. We and uh, challenge us to an ice bucket game or contest. I'm sure that one of us will gladly dump a... Cold water overheads, Cody. Gail had an argument about this. Yeah, let's not get into it. Kiko mm-hmm. is anti. Uh, Kiko wants people to have ALS. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's he, exactly. Would what this my... be as, would this be as successful if they called ALS by its other name, Lou Gehrig's disease? No, because nobody knows who Lou Gehrig is. But, I mean, that is a be... ridiculous statement. You oh, okay? Go <laughs> ask ten people who Lou Gehrig is that are your age, and I'm sure they know. I'm sure they know. They would know because of the Lou Gehrig Ice Bucket Challenge. Isn't he the guy with the disease? <laughs> it's, it's I, think you, I think you vastly underestimate how smart people are. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's go do a, a And not just that, but like it's, it's not like we're talking about some obscure person. We're talking about a famous baseball player who made a, well, the most famous sports speech of all time. If you I'm know- going to go to the store <laughs> next door right now and ask the first 10 people who Lou Gehrig is, how many do you think are going to know? Six. Oh my God! I would say one. You, Jared? It depends on what store. <laughs> <laughs> Go to a baseball store now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna do the corner store, a convenience yeah. store. Yeah, yeah. They're, we're probably gonna get assaulted if you do that. Like, excuse me, sir. Do you know who Lou Gehrig is? Like, I don't have any money, sir. Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway. Anyway, if you know who Lou Gehrig is, please uh, contact us at podcast at net. Subject line, Lou Gehrig is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a hint. He played a sport with a bat and a ball. Anyway, on that note, I'm Jerry Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And I'm Kiko Martinez. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.